Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome, everybody, to another exciting episode of Tide Chasers podcast. I got my co-host across the way, Qua. We're going to touch base with him in a moment, but just want to touch base on a few things. Uh, we are going to be welcoming a another new guest, which is exciting for us. We're going to be talking about some some inshore bay uh, bay fishing from the kayak and from shore. Um, basically, the same same ideas as we've always talked about. You can find us on Facebook at Tide Chasers Podcast. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Tide underscore Chasers, as well as all of the podcast platforms. You can find our links in the bio on our Instagram page. So please don't hesitate to find us over there. Without further ado, my partner, Qua, across the way. Welcome, buddy. How are you doing today? Hey, what's going on, man? Just excited that, you know, to finally get to talk to uh, one of these guys. I've been following on YouTube for a while, I man. I love his videos. So it's, it's pretty uh, exciting just to talk to him in real life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, with, with that being said, welcome, Rich. This is Rich Natoli from Fat Dad Fishing, uh, www.fatdadfishing.com, as well as his YouTube channel, backslash Fat Dad Fishing. Welcome, Rich. How you doing, buddy? Doing great. I am really excited to be here. So thanks for inviting me. Of course, man. We're excited to have you. You have some amazing content, some videos, and you do a lot of things that we, uh, we're trying to get better at, and we're trying to help other people get better at. So that's the goal here, just uh, talking fishing and you know, making some new friends, making, getting some content out to the world that they can listen to on their own time and to and from the fishing spots, all that good stuff. So with that being said, I got to ask you, where did the name Fat Dad Fishing come from? Yeah. So um, people ask me that. Um, first of all, I, I started with a different name um, and I had it for about a minute and I hated it. Um, I talked to a few people and they gave me some advice on it. And it was one of those names that, you know, all the, you know, the crazy people fishing on inflatable ducks use and everything. And it was like, oh, I'm the best fisherman. And I'm like, that's not really what I'm about. So I, I just decided I was going to think of a name on my own. So for two reasons I picked it. First, I think it's pretty funny. 
Um, you know, and, and as I, as it turns out, uh, a lot of people can kind of relate, you know, <laughs> relate to it, the, the fat dad out there fishing. Um, but the other part was, you know, it's a little bit something for me that um, everybody has their thing that that, that kind of holds them back or their excuse. And, you know, for me, it was, you know, I'm not fat, 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 you know, but I'm not in great shape. Um, and it's just kind of like a reminder to me, like, you can kind of push through it and overcome it. I, and a big part of it was I just got in a, you know, a new kayak and it was like, can I even pedal this thing far enough anymore? Um and I decided I was going to do it no matter what. So it kind of spoke to me personally from that. But but the biggest thing was I thought it was pretty funny and people might kind of latch on to it. You know, you know, what's funny about that is that when I was buying my kayak, I, you can ask these guys. I'm like, man, I need to lose some weight so I can fit more stuff into my kayak. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had to get the 500 pound capacity, you know, because I, I, I bring so much stuff with me. It's absurd. So it's like I, I've gotten better about that, but. Like I, that was part of my thing. Like I, I, I actually lost, uh, I think 60 pounds since, uh, July of last year. But yeah, I mean, and I, I've gone through the ups and downs of all that, but yeah, it's part of it was like, man, I got to be able to fit more stuff in my kayak. I can't be most of the the, the weight capacity myself. Yeah. That, that, that's awesome. Well, congrats on, on losing that. Yeah, um, I haven't lost as much. I have lost, um, but I'm at the point now where, you know, it's funny. I go out with, you know, some guys from will contact me through my YouTube channel and say, you want to go out? I'm like, sure. Let's go fishing. And, you know, a couple of these guys are in their twenties and then I can do it. I can do it. And here we are 20 miles later and they're dying. And I'm yeah. like, you want to head up this river? Nope. I'm heading in. I'm like, All right. <laughs> you know, so I, I've, I've definitely worked out a lot and I, yeah doesn't look like it, but I run, but you, it's important. You got to be in sure. to be out there. Oh, of course. I I've had those 14 hour days on the water on the kayak. It's taxing, especially yeah. when it's hundred degrees. Yep. You're going, I've, I've, I've pedaled 12 miles one direction. I'm like, Holy crap. I got to go all the way back against the, against the current, against the wind. So, so yeah, you got up your fitness level to, to be able to, to, to do what you need to do out there for sure. Now, what was it that got you introduced to uh, kayak fishing? How long have you been kayak fishing? You know, what what types of things did, did it did it take for you to jump into, uh, you know, your kayak? Yeah, so um, I, I think the first time I went kayak fishing, it was it was back before it was a thing, right? So um, it, it was over, well over twenty years ago, probably close to twenty five years ago. It had a uh, couple of kayaks. I don't remember what kind they were, but um, you know, it just came down to, it was too windy to go on the boat. Um, and people wanted to go fishing with me and I just wanted to get out alone. You know, we're down in stone Harbor and people wanted to go fishing with me. I didn't want to go with them. I just needed to get away. So I grabbed a rod. I just grabbed a kayak. They're like, what the heck are you doing? And I was like, I'm going fishing. They're like, you're not taking the boat. I'm like, nope. And I just paddled away. And, uh, you know, it's, it was just, it was, I found at that point, literally that day, that it was nice to be able to just go out, you know, in nature all by myself. I got away from the jet skis back into the marshes. Uh, I was actually before there were a lot of jet skis, but back in the marshes and I just did my thing. So about 20, over 20 years, close to 25 years, I've been kayak fishing pretty regularly. Very nice. I think uh, I'm on kayak number five. My first one was a uh... A Dick's Future Beach that I never, I never once had in the water. I ended up flipping it and and selling it to someone. And then I had my my first real kayak I spent any time in was a Ocean Kayak Prowler 13. Yeah, 
Um, I, I added uh, a motor to it. I had a 55 pound thrust saltwater trolling motor. I had all, all the electronics and then I ended up flipping that and get my first Hobie, which was a, a pro angler 14. Yeah. I had that thing for like two and a half, three years and only had it out seven times. Yeah. So when we, when we bought our house here, I ended up, I ended up selling it just for the cash. Um, I kept a little bit of that left over and put it into a vibe kayak, a, uh, a vibe Seaghost 130. Took that yeah. out once, got blown down the bay, and it took me 45 minutes to come back just to get back on the spot I was at. I'm like, no, thank you. And I realized that the pedal kayak was where I needed to be. I ended up buying a Hobie Compass, and I love it because I can throw it on the top of my roof. I'm, I'm as good as gone in, in minutes as opposed to the pro angler. I needed to trailer it. I, I, I couldn't do any of that kind of stuff by myself. So it's really it's really changed it because for me, I was a side guy. You know, I, I would spend my time on the side banks, but you're limited. I mean, you only have the available piece of water that's right there in front of you and how far you can cast. So it, it really limits the ability to uh, be successful. Now, I did all right, but you know, taking the, taking the game to them with the kayak, there's a whole different world there. And I love it. So I, I totally agree with you. Now, yeah. as far as your setup, what is your current kayak and how do you have it set up? Like with your electronics and things that you have on there, kind of talk yeah. to us about it a little bit. Sure. So, so I, I'll say this and, and I want to, I want to kind of stress that just because I have, it doesn't mean I'm recommending it for everyone. Um, and I'll just say right now, you've got your Hobie fanboys, you got your old town fanboys, you got, everybody, you know, all the way down, uh, every, every single one of them. But what it really comes down to is what works for you and how are you going to fish? What's, what's the right setup for you? Um, for me, the right setup for the way that I fish, where I fish and how I want to fish, uh, I got an old town, big water PDL. Um, so it's a little over 13 feet. It's the same hull as the predator, which is, uh, more well-known, uh, but it's the same hull. Um, and it's, it's really good for punching through waves and chop. And, you know, I, I'm the kind of guy who I may only get out once a week. Um, and it doesn't matter what the weather's like. It can be raining, snowing, windy, sleet, uh, fog. I'm going out, um, somewhere. Um, uh, so I needed something that I could handle that, that type of, that type of water. And it's done a really good job. I have capsized once, um, <laughs> but, uh, I've been in a lot of things where the previous kayaks I had, I would have been dumped left and right. So, um, so that's what I have is the kayak. Um, and it is a pedal. Uh, I, I think that's really important for the way that I fish. Uh, I have a very inexpensive accent paddle. I don't have anything major for it because I figure, you know, I'll use it once in a while, uh, to, you know, if, if the PDL breaks, I have spare props and everything on board. I can take care of that. If it really breaks, no, I'm just going to have to paddle um, and I'll, I'll paddle that one day and I'll, I'll suffer the next week recovering. And then, uh, you know, the PDL will be fixed or replaced. Uh, beyond that, I, I do use a low Rance hook to nine inch uh, fish finder. Um, I got the triple scan transducer on that. So I have, you know, the full GPS and avionics for the maps, but I also have the side scan, the down imaging and the regular sonar. And I think that's, that that's something new to me. I never thought I'd need the side scan, but I got a good deal. And I found that, you know, it really works well when you're looking for structure in the, in the shallower waters or looking for striped bass for uh, schools of bunker or schools of bass off to the sides. 
Uh, beyond that, you know, I just had the regular, the regular stuff that, that I think everyone should have. I have a really good PFD. Uh, I have a waterproof VHF radio strapped to me. I'm offshore quite a bit um, as well as inshore. So I keep it strapped to me and then, you know, dry suits and, and all that, depending on the weather. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I thought real hard because me, me and Quap pretty much got our, our electronics at the same time. And I thought really hard about that side imaging. I have the, um, the Humminbird Helix 7. Yep. And most of what I read and most of what I was told was that, you know, the side imaging isn't optimal exactly for kayaks, but I kind of regret not getting it at this point because I've seen otherwise. I've seen instances where I have buddies that like showing me pictures of what they can see on their side scan. I'm like, well, damn, <laughs> I wish I had that. Yeah, uh, you, it, it works. Now, I, I, if I'm going to be totally honest, I very rarely turn it on it if I'm not fishing for striped bass. Um, it, it's, it's really the migratory schools. It's the, when the schools are moving and they're not staying in one spot for fluke, I never turn it on. I don't turn it on for weak fish. I don't turn it on for tog, sheep, none of those things. Um, it's only when I'm looking for something that I know is not staying in one spot, it's actively moving and, and I need to catch it as it goes by. Gotcha. Gotcha. So now you spend, you spend some time on the, these, the sod banks and the jetties as well. Do you, do you ever get that feeling where you're like, I'm going to leave the kayak strap today and just kind of bounce around a little bit on foot. Um, so I, I do enjoy shore based fishing, um, but it's going to take a lot to get me to do it. Um, and the big, the biggest reason is it, to me, it's so much harder. Um, it, it, and it's harder because I can still find the spots, uh, but it's so hard to move between the spots. And, and, and where I grew up fishing down Stone Harbor and Wildwood, it's you're up to your knees in muck. And, you know, so you're, you're going to walk a quarter of a mile out. You're going to fish. Maybe you'll get something. Maybe you won't. But to move to the next spot, you got to walk all the way back. You got to throw all your gear back in the truck. You got to take the shoes off or destroy your, well, I just destroyed the floor of the car, but uh, <laughs> drive to the next spot and, and set up again. Um, but in a kayak, I'll troll to the next spot. I'll, I'll eat a sandwich as I'm trolling and I feel like I'm at least productive, you know, so I don't feel like I'm wasting time. And I think part of that is just because I don't go fishing, you know, more than once. It's, I, I, you know, in the summer, I'll probably average twice a week. Um, but I, I try to make the most out of every minute that I have. Um, and I feel like I waste a lot of time driving from town to town and, and access point to access point. For sure. I totally agree with that. The, the, the one thing that really keeps me where I have my kayak with me and I decide to fish from shore is when the weatherman lies to me. <laughs> That's the biggest thing. Like if I, if I get out there and the conditions aren't what I was expecting, which happens, you know, probably, you know, two times out of 10, something like that, where it says it's one thing and it's doing something completely different. Uh, I don't want to, I mean, I'm driving from Philadelphia area to the shore. I don't want to waste a trip. You know what I mean? So I try and duck into some place, but I get what you're saying. My, my kayak's a little bit lighter and it's not as, um, it's not as, uh, not as easily usable in adverse conditions as yours would be with being the big water. So, yeah. Now, now talk to us about our, your YouTube channel. I, I got a chance to look at some of your videos. Um, you know, when I was kind of finding out a little bit about you and, and I, what I really liked about your videos was, was that they were more teaching, more informative, as opposed to, you know, all the little hokey channel, you know, challenges and such. You know, what made you decide to go with that style on your YouTube videos, as opposed to, 
like trying to catch fish on Twizzlers and stuff. Yeah. And, and I think that's the part that kind of bothered me. Like I, I, uh, I originally started it um, because I wanted to see if I could help people to catch more fish. Um, and, and I quickly found out that most people want to just see the personalities, right? Well, that, that's not, that's not my thing. I have a personality. Um, I'm fun. I think when I'm out on the water with people, um, but I'm not going to be hooping and hollering. Um, I'm not, I'm not setting the hook so it rips the face off the fish. I'm not screaming and yelling. Um, I'm, I'm pretty methodical when I'm on the water trying to maximize, again, maximize the time that I'm out there. So um, I figured if I was going to do something, I need to provide a lot of value. And um, I'm at the point now where it's not just about catching fish and, and posting pictures. It's about um, seeing if I can help other people. So, you know, since the channel has started, um, I've gone from fishing alone 95% of the time to people tagging along with me um, or me tagging along with other people and kind of helping them get on some fish. You know, I went with a guy this year, he got his first striper, um, nice. you know, in the cold water, uh, which was, which he was pretty excited about. And, and, the, and that was the goal. So, you know, the, the biggest thing is the, for the channel the, and the premise behind it is, you know, and it goes back to what you see on social media all the time. So anybody who is in a Facebook group for fishing reports or anything has seen this, you know, somebody asks a question mm -hmm. and somebody, not somebody, somebody will be the first, but a lot of people will pile on and they'll say, stop asking questions, get off the couch and put in your time. And um, it's easy for them to say, because they probably live five minutes from the water. Um, they're down on the coast, but uh, the vast majority of people have jobs. Um, I have a job. Um, I have a family that I love and want to spend time with, and, uh, I, I can't be down there putting in time and expect to catch fish. And I don't think from my own personal perspective that it's doing anything good for the sport, for people to go down and get skunked 10 times and never go back again. You know, the more people that are fishing, the more money goes into the boat ramps, goes into conservation. Um, so the more people that are having success, uh, the more they're bringing their kids, the next generation comes through. So for me, it's all about helping people to catch fish. And so 90 plus percent of the content on my site is going to be geared towards some type of educational um, slant to it. So yes, there will be catches in there. Um, and, and actually at this point, I won't post anything unless I caught something because then no one's going to listen and it didn't work. So um, I only post what works. Um, and and I, I'm going to talk in detail. Here's how I located it. Here's the tactics that I use. Um, here's, here's a breakdown of the spot and why I fished it. And, uh, and, and I do that without burning the spots. Um, I, I'm not going to show a wide view, but I'm going to show specifically, here's the type of spot that you need to look for to do it yourself. Very nice. Yeah. I, I've always, I have people reach out to me, say, you need to start a YouTube channel. You need, and it's always been like, okay, but if I want to be myself, who's going to tune in? That's, that's the, that's the question I've always had. Like, I don't, I, I wouldn't find myself overly charismatic. I won't, I'm not going to be just like you said, like, you know, beat my chest and screaming and doing all this crazy stuff. I like the things that I look and listen to and look for is the informative videos, you know, like the Elias, Elias V, for example. Right. Uh, all, all information, great content, and he's not doing anything silly. You know, it's, it's, and he's got a lot of followers and he's doing it right. 
you know, that sea money, for example, another guy, you know, very informative. It's just fishing. It's not these hokey little challenges and stuff. And I think that kind of stuff's kind of, kind of watered down the content that we're finding on YouTube. And, uh, again, and then going back to what you're saying about the putting in the time, you know, it's different how we put our time in now. Part of putting our time in is doing the research ahead of the trips and that's watching videos. That's reading content online. It's different. We, we're all consuming this stuff differently than we used to 20 years ago because the internet has taken off, obviously. You know, social media is a big thing. And you're right. People pile on with the social media and it's just overwhelming sometimes. So when I see something like that, I'll pull that person aside like on a private message and say, here, do this, go here, this general area, and this is what you need to look for, as opposed to blasting it out to the group. Now, I, I've, I too have, you know, I don't know. I think the flip, the switch flip for me, you know, the, the part of protecting my spots, protecting my content as opposed to sharing when I had kids, when I had kids and I started teaching my kids how to fish, I got joy from that, you know, more so than myself. And then when I started getting, you know, specific friends on, on bites, like when I got to see my buddy Qua here, catch a nice snakehead, I got happier for him than I would for myself catching it. And I think as you get older, that's you get you get value from other people's joy in this sport. And that, that's where I'm at with it now. You know, that's why we're doing this podcast. We want to bring value to people that, you know, are looking for content to consume when, when they have the ability to do so, whether it be driving to a fishing spot or driving to work or whether it be, you know, just relaxing on their couch. It's just another avenue to consume. It's a, And this is this is put in time. I mean, it's a different kind of time, but it's still putting in time to learn the craft. I mean, there's a lot more to it than just being out there on the water. You know, you can get on YouTube and you can find uh, videos to learn how to tie a knot, you know, tie an FG knot or something like that. It's all there. It's still putting in time. It's still doing what you're supposed to. I, I, I agree with you there. I used to be, I used to not like when people reached out publicly for you know, spots and stuff like that. But there's, there's, there's a point where it makes sense to, to jump in and help out. So I totally yeah. agree. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you go back, so I'm almost 50 years old. So when, when I was first starting out fishing, it was all saltwater. Um, and, you know, everybody says, well, that's not how we used to do it. Yes, it is. Back in the day, I remember going to the, go to, going to gas up the boat and all the fishermen are kind of sharing, here's where we're going. Here's where they caught yeah. yesterday. Here's where, you know, and, and you'd head out. And then next thing you know, you're 20 miles offshore and you're next to the same guy that just gets yeah. up next to you. You know, <laughs> it's like the, the boat ramp is the watering cooler. Yeah. Exactly. And then the boat ramp is the Facebook group. You know, that that's just how it was before. It was just done differently. It was done in person, face to face. And you could either either tell someone to kick rocks or you could just help out. You know, it's, it's, it's a little bit different now. Everybody's got, everybody gets puffs their chest out online to, to try and, you know, belittle these people that need help. And there, there's not enough people on the other side to kind of help these people out. So I think it's good. I think it's a good thing. You know, the, the more people fishing, like you said, you know, it increases uh, the conservation efforts, increases the boat ramps, it increases hopefully our ability to have, you know, uh, fishing game, like wardens and such, uh, more of those around to police the people that aren't doing the right thing. You know, that, that's where, that's where I, that's where I'm at with it. You know, I'll be 40 on, on, on Friday. So I, I've gotten to the point where I'm transitioning to the part where I'm trying to build my legacy in the sport. And it's about helping everybody else, you know, my kids, my friends, other young people. I have probably, you know, seven, eight younger 
teenagers reach out to me a week about snakeheads, for example. You know, it's just something, it's something to pass on. And obviously that's a, that's a whole nother thing, but so to, to kind of highlight what you do now, would you say that fluke is your favorite saltwater fish to target in the, in the back bays? Or do you have, do you have a couple different things, stripers, fluke? Um, yeah, so my favorite is, is fluke. Um, without a doubt, that's my favorite to target in the backwaters. Uh, for striped bass, I do a lot of striped bass fishing. Um, but as, as I told a guy out on the water a few weeks ago, um, we're out in the middle of Raritan Bay. And, uh, and he asked me the same question. And I said, you know, I, I, like, I like catching striper. I don't necessarily like fishing for them. I don't love fishing for them, is what I said. Um, I, I'm, I like targeting fish like fluke, um, tog, sheep's head, weak fish that are more predictable than migratory striped bass. Now, resident bass is different. In the summer, I love targeting striper um, because they're, to me, they're more predictable. I'm not just waiting for a school to just rip by on its way to the river to spawn uh, or rip by on the way back out um, afterwards. Um, to me, there's too much luck in that. Um, yes, there's skill, but anybody who says that they're catching these huge striper because they have skill is lying. They didn't just have skill to show up that Tuesday night at 2 a.m., it was because they had time at Tuesday night at 2 a.m. and it, they just happened to come by. Um, so, uh, you know, so I, I do like striper, but it's it's definitely going to be fluke is the number one choice. Um, I love bluefish. Actually, most people don't. Um, I grew up fishing for bluefish offshore. And that that is something that everybody should get a hold of. The, you know, you get the three foot um, real slammers out there. Um, that's something and weak fish. Um, I do really like weak fish, although I don't target them as much, um, lately over the past several years, but great fish to, to target. I've, I've heard the stories of those, uh, big choppers offshore from my father-in-law and, uh, he would go with my, uh, my wife's, uh, her, her grandfather. They would take the Boston whaler offshore and just absolutely lay into a school of them. Like, like nothing. They, they said, you know, 40 inch fish were not uncommon at that point. And unfortunately I didn't get to really experience much of that. Now I, I always run into bluefish when I'm fluking and it, it drives me nuts. So that's why bluefish are not my favorite. Now, if I go out to target bluefish specifically, I could get down with something like that, but I usually get them and they're the uh, uninvited guests to my party. So that that's, that's why I, I, I get some frustration with them, but you can go through a whole big bucket of gulp in a, in, a, in a hot minute if you know if you know what I'm talking about there. So, exactly. Yeah, but I, I would I agree with you, man. I, I I like catching striper. I hate fishing for striper. I'm the same same boat. Like I, I told Qua the other day, I said I said, listen, I don't. I, I caught I caught that one nice fish a couple of years back, and I, I feel content. I'm not like dying to go out there and chase a bigger one. It's it's probably a little sad of me, but it, they're part of its conservation too. I. I I feel like targeting them is not, I wouldn't say irresponsible, but if I, if I want to talk to talk, I'm trying to walk the walk too. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and they have, they have a lower survival rate than fish like, uh, like weak fish, you know, which is more depleted, but has a much, much, much higher survival rate on a release. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's a whole different thing. I, I, I may keep one striper a year. Um, maybe two. It depends if I hook it bad and it's, and it's definitely going to die and it's a keeper size, I'll keep it. Um, but otherwise I'm not, I'm not even keeping them. I'm just out there to get the tight lines and, and the sure. fight and then let them go. 
So as far as the, your setup for kayak, uh, kayak fishing for fluke, does it change as the fishery transitions? Like for net, for example, obviously we're going to be opening up in about three and a half weeks here, um, in Jersey. Will your, will your method and your tackle change throughout the season as it progresses into the, when the water warms up and they're transitioning to offshore? So it really doesn't change a lot. Um, now I may do some different things, um, cold water, uh, warm day. I I'll actually try some top water, um, go back on the flats. Um, if, you know, early in the season, uh, it depends on every year, right? So if it's, if it's cold water, I think it's going to be warm water this year, but if it's cold water, uh, on a sunny day, it's going to hit 65, 70 degrees, but the water's still in the, in the fifties. I'll, I'll head up towards the flats and, and I'll be tossing some, some top waters for fluke um, across the, the edges of the flats. That's awesome. And, and actually, Qua, get your fly rod and get a, a small popper on there and, and bring it across. There's nothing like pulling a fluke off, off the edge of a flat. I've never top seen water. that. I, I've honestly never seen that. Top water fluke. Wow. Yeah. It's got to be shallow. It's got to be under three feet, um, closer to one. Um, but under three feet that, yeah, I mean, you've seen it. I, I know you've seen it. You're fluking in the backwaters and you're in 17, 18 feet of water and you're reeling in nothing. You're just reeling it in for your next cast. And there's a fluke chasing all, oh, yeah. the, way all, the, all the way to the top. They've done that. Yeah. But, yeah, I, but the fact that you can actually watch one pop out of the water and attack your top water, that's pretty insane. Yeah. It, it's, it's not easy. It doesn't happen a lot. Um, but you, every once in a while you get that really great day. And, it, and for me, it's always been in the spring. I, I've never, I've never caught a top water fluke outside of maybe early June at the latest, but again, it has to be cold water and it has to be where they're trying to get up into some heat in the, in the shallows. So, um, but yeah, it's something, you know, if you have your fly rod and it's, and the now when up, you're saying shallow, are we talking like a three foot, like, hole into like a shelf that they climbs up into like a one foot like a one foot flat so you're saying they they're usually sitting probably in like that three that two three foot little shelf and then as you bring that top water through into into the the warmer like the one foot of water they're going to come from the deeper water up after it well both um late in the day they'll actually move up into the the one foot water mm -hmm. um you know, early in the morning, they may be up in that during the day. Yeah. They would typically come out from the deeper areas in my experience. I've only done it a couple dozen times in my life. Um, but you know, a couple dozen fish total. Um, but yeah, it, it's going across the potholes in the middle of a flat or along the, the ledge of a flat into not a really deep area, right. They're not going to come up out of 20 feet into one foot, you know? Okay. Um, but, but if you have something, something that's going to be less than, you know, five feet, um, coming up into a, a two foot to one foot. Um, especially if it's mud, if it's mud where it's going to really heat up in the sun, um, you know, or in the morning, you can, you can catch them up there. They'll come up and they'll take it. I got to try this oh. with the fly rod now. You get, get me excited. That's a new tactic. I, uh, uh, used to, yeah, you got a couple dozen, couple dozen times. I, I have never, never tried it. Now I've been waiting like up to my, my chest and such. And I've had them swimming all through the water column all around my legs as I'm yeah. standing in a, a, a school of spearing, but I've never seen them go top. Now 
I've seen the videos like that. I've seen like uh, Chris McEntee post of the the fish going airborne at, at the ocean, like at the end of the night, like in magic hour. Um, I think also uh, Rich, right? Rich. Um, uh, I Fishaholic. Yeah, Fishaholic also posted a video like that where they're just going airborne like nuts. Like it's like, like fluke, fluke blitzing on spam, yeah. like just leaping yeah. out of the water, doing donuts. So it makes sense. It makes oh. sense. I just... I would never think to 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 try and target them that way. That's pretty. That's pretty cool. I mean, they're so, pretty quick and aggressive. <clears throat> you figure how many times have we hit the beach, throwing SP minnows for bass, right? And then f- big fluke is just coming up, slamming our SP minnows. You know, like we're retrieving it fast. There's no slow sure. retrieve, and they're they literally they're big fluke just chasing down our SP minnows. Oh, for sure. They're, they're super aggressive. And, and, you know, to be completely honest, the, the only reason I figured out that it worked was um, I took, I was practicing the first time I got a saltwater fly rod. I was a teenager and I just got in the kayak and left. And I ended up back in an area, um, well, you know exactly where it is, but I was back there just practicing my cast and I was using a popper um, and I caught one. So I said, okay, well, let's try it. And I kept, I kept casting and I, I, I caught a couple that day. Um, they weren't huge, but they were, you know, they were under keeper size, probably around the 15 inch range. But from that point on, when the conditions were right, I would, I would target them. And, and, and I did, you know, I think I caught maybe one keeper. And at that time, I think it was a, a 16 inch was a keeper. So I was going to say like when you're 15 <laughs> back then, they used to keep like 13 inch fish or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll show my father-in-law a fish. He'll be like, that used to be a keeper back in my day. I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah. you know, so, so uh, describes like some of the, the gear you're using for that, that back blade, back bay fluke bite. What, what types of things are you, uh, you dropping down? Now I've seen your videos, so I kind of have an idea, but describe to everybody else. What, 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 what type of thing you're taking the, the game to them with? Right. So for, for rods, I, I'm, I'm all about going multi-species, being capable for multi-species. Um, but the other thing is I'm on a kayak. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want to have, uh, I don't want to have 250, $300 reels. I don't want to have $200 rods. And, and a good example is I actually, for the first time in the last 15 years, I capsized in Raritan Bay a few weeks ago, 50 degree water, mm-hmm. mile off, and I lost two full rigs. Um, plus a camera and a couple of things. So I, I'm out about 700 bucks. And, and, the, and the point is though, with some of the, the gear that people have, they would have been out a thousand dollars. They would have been out $1,500. So I, I try to get things that are, that work really well. Um, they can take the abuse of a kayak um, and, and they're not expensive. So what I typically use is a seven to a seven, six foot, uh, seven, six rod, um, mainly because you need to be able to get it around the nose of the kayak. When you have a fish and it decides it's going from port to starboard, you better get that around the front or else you're going to, you're going to end up breaking off. So depending on how big the kayak is, you know, for me, a seven foot works. Um, so right now I use, you know, one of the, the rod that I lost was actually my favorite. It's a star aerial. It's a medium, heavy, moderate, fast action. Um, moderate fast is, is I think pretty good. I, I prefer fast for fluke. Um, but moderate fast is good action when you want something with a softer mouth, like a weak fish, um, it won't tear it as easily. Um, so a couple of those, and I use cheap reels, man, pen pursuit. It's like a 35, $40 reel. That thing I've, I have one for, uh, four years. Um, pen fierce is, is my favorite budget 
um, the Fierce Three. That's a different drag than the older Fierce. Um, so I'll use those, Daiwa BG. I'm stuck now because I lost gear and I can't get these budget reels right now. So I'm using a Stratic. So I don't want to, I don't want to lose that. Um, I lost two of those last year on two consecutive trips. Yeah. I had I the one, I don't even know where it went. Like I, I looked behind me and it was gone. I'm like, crap. And oh, I have nice. never lost anything overboard. It was the brand new Stratic FL. I only had it the, that trip. That was the first time I had it out. It was on a brand new Tsunami Slim Wave uh -huh. I was using for uh, Tog and, and Sheep's Head. I looked back behind me. It's gone. I wanted, I, it's probably uh, almost $400 setup. Yep. Um, and then my next trip out was down in the Outer Banks at Oregon Inlet. I almost capsized. I was sideways and I had the rod in my hand and I had to make a choice, drop the rod and hold on to the bridge or go over. And I ended up having to drop the rod to, so I didn't go overboard. And two trips in a row, I just got the second slim wave and the second Stratic in the mail, like the day before, after replacing the other one that went over. Yeah, it was it was almost $1,000 worth of gear I lost in two trips. Yeah, well, you made the right choice dumping the gear. Um, the only thing I'll say right now is it's impossible to get gear. Um, because yeah. of all the, the, uh, the manufacturing oh. issues. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I do like custom rods though also, and, um, I'm forced to use a custom rod right now until another one comes in. So that is lashed. I don't like lashing things to kayaks because it's stuff to get tangled in, but, yeah. um, I, I brought that out last week and that, that is lashed to something at all times at this point. So what is your, uh, your terminal tackle look like? What types of things are you dropping down in front of these fish? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I, I do a couple of things. Um, if I'm casting and I'm tossing, uh, out for me and I'm not doing the, the, the jigging, I'm going to be using, I, I don't use the Skinner rig for that, which is basically a high, low mm -hmm. top bottom with the bucktail on the bottom teaser on top. I'll use just a bucktail. Uh, I'll use a bucktail and I really, really like using the gulp shrimp. Um, but they, but for, for fluke, they hit paddle tails like crazy. So a paddle tail works really well. Um, I use a lot of Z-Man, um, whites, bone color, slam shady color. Um, those work really well. And I, I'll use a three and a half to a, uh, you know, all the way up to a five inch later in the summer. Um, that's the big thing. I'll go bigger baits, the, the hotter it gets. Mm -hmm. um, that's really the only change that I make. But then when I'm doing, going vertical, I'll use the Skinner style with the teaser up top. And I, I will always put a shrimp up top to start a gulp shrimp. And on the bottom, um, I'll usually use either a white, um, what are they called? The swim goal, the swim mullet, um, the, mullet. Yeah, the, the mullet, right. Right. Uh, or I'll use a, uh, really, I, I like the darker colors, like a, a, a dark, an orange, uh, grub uh, on the bottom and, uh, and I'll fish that. And I don't, I don't typically do the Skinner style, you know, never stop jigging, jig it really fast. I, I put it right. I put it on the bottom. I'll do that a couple times and then I'll stop. It's tiring, it's, man. It's, it's tiring. exhausting. <laughs> that guy's got forearms. His forearms gotta be like, bang. <laughs> yeah. I try and do it. I'm like, God, how does that man do this? I'm like sitting there wiggling my arm around. I'm like, Man, I got I need a massage after this damn day. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't do it either. I can't keep up with it. Maybe yeah. I can now. I've been working out, but Jesus. 
It's I, I like, do better on this on the pause though, right? When you pause and you give that, you know, you change that rhythm just for a second. That's typically where you get the bite. Oh, for right? sure. So I put a lot of those pauses in there. I'll jig it fast, and but I, I don't, I don't let the, I don't let the bucktail scrape the bottom either. Um, there was a period last year where I was catching everything on the top, and it was because I was too close. I was too close to the bottom. They need to come up off the bottom to eat. They're not, they're not just sitting in their sand and grabbing something as it goes by. They're coming up and attacking it from underneath. So you have to give them some space. Um, but yeah, that's mainly what I use. Um, I, I don't use bait 99% of the time because I mean, quite frankly, it's a pain in the neck on a kayak, um, to be towing around a bucket and, and a live well and all that. So, uh, it's, it's almost all artificial for me. Um, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a, I'm a big time artificial guy too. My, my father-in-law, he, he loves using the, you know, the little mummy chugs, yep. Achilles dropping one of those down on one rod while he's moving around and and then he'll work another rod like with an artificial i i just i'm a one rod guy i can't i i i have a hard time keeping up with one rod sometimes let alone two so i i don't i like to keep it as simple as possible um do you use these strips like say like like bluefish belly strips or even or just no 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 bait at all so i i would um, but it's again, bait is just so messy on a kayak and cut bait is really, I mean, that yeah. can get bad when it's a hundred degrees out and, yeah. you know, and it's all over the thing and it's a pain to clean up. Um, but yeah, if you actually fluke belly, I would use that. Um, I would make a special case for the, uh, what's it called? The, um, the ribbon, the, the ribbon. The ribbon. Yes. Yeah. I mean that, that, that would be worth it, but I'm not typically going to use bait unless I have to. Um, so yeah. you're saying usually when you're jigging, just say vertical style, the Skinner style. So your your bucktail or jig head never touches the bottom. So you're saying you're you're usually about maybe six eight inches above the bottom. So it never it never bumps the bottom. Yeah, I'll drop it till it hits, mm -hmm. um, and then I'll and then I will raise it up. I won't necessarily reel it, but I'll lift my arm up a little bit so I know that okay, I've lifted my elbow up six eight inches. And I'll jig it there. And sometimes, you know, you let it back down because you want to make sure if there's a depth change that you're still close. Okay. Um, so that way I don't get snagged a lot. Right. So I'm not spending all that money on, uh, on new bucktails and jigs and everything. Um, and, and it stays in my opinion in the best strike zone. And the other part of it is it's better from, in my opinion, for multi-species in some of these areas, because the other fish are going to be up a little bit higher. Like a weak right. fish is going to be about two feet off that bottom usually. Um, so it keeps that top, that top teaser right in their face. Right. So it's not all, it's not all underneath them. Now what's usually the max weight for your bottom? Like if you're using a bucktail, like, you know, our waters, our backwaters, like even with current ripping, like what's the max that you would go? So it, it's a good question because I just ordered some today. Um, and I, I ordered my, my first setup for what I'm planning on. Um, I'm, I'm going to, for the max, I try to stay at one ounce, absolute max. Um, so I'll have, a, I, I am going to have three, one and a half in my, in my box. Um, but those I wouldn't envision using unless I'm, uh, in the middle of a fast inlet, um, if I run an inlet, I'll, I'll just jig it on the way out and on the way in. Um, I tend to take the tides so that I, it's an easier ride. Um, but I'll, I'll use it in that situation or offshore in the back. It's one, it's, it's one ounce, but ideally I'm going to be at three quarters or a half an ounce, usually three quarters. 
Interesting. Yeah, I uh, I personally, if I'm on a sod bank, I, I like to go as as light as possible. But from the kayak, I haven't figured out what my what my go to is there yet. So I'm I'm still learning that. I, it's it, it obviously can it's very conditional, obviously. Um, but I've I've not fished like you have, where you will keep it up more off the bottom. So maybe maybe that's something I'll I'll try and not have to worry about it being heavy to touch the bottom, but. Uh, that, that's, that's some good, that's some good info because yeah, not a lot of people are doing it that way. I promise you that. Yeah. That's why, that's why I was, I, w- I wanted to ask that question because I've always known to literally, they call it bumping the bottom. So once you bump it, you lift it off the bottom, bump it, kind of make it looks like it's like a, a shrimp or a grass or something hopping. But like, that's why I asked you, is it, you know, you're usually at six to seven, eight inches off the bottom, but so you never let it touch. Because I mean, everyone everyone has different tactics and different styles of doing things, and then we'd like to kind of, you know, figure out or just hear what everyone's different tactic is. Because we've seen underwater videos of people literally just dragging bucktails on the bottom, and Fluke would just follow it for like, you know, anywhere between like hundred yards before they even bother touching it. So I mean, I I I can understand to see it visually that if you keep it above the bottom, they're gonna like you said, they're gonna have to come from the bottom up and grab it so literally if they're coming from the bottom up to grab it they've already accomplished the fact that literally th- the hook's almost already set so you literally just literally lift and you're pretty much setting the hook rather than having the bucktail sit on the bottom as they pretty much have to try to pounce on it which you don't have an actual more forced hook set because as you're jigging there are there so figure i guess what you're saying is the way you're jigging at six to eight inches if they're grabbing it from the bottom you're already going to feel the weight. Like literally, yes. you're going to feel the weight because you know they're you're not snagging on the bottom. You're not snagging on a twig, a rock, or or seaweed or anything because you, you already know in your mind that you're six to eight inches off the bottom. Any weight that's on that that rod at that time loaded is a fish. Yeah, th- that's normally how it works out. Um, you know, I'll and again, I'll feel for the bottom. And sometimes if it's not working, yeah, I'll, I'll do the bouncing on the bottom, but. I try not to do that. So that, I mean, I feel it on the drop. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, you know, on the drop, when you're, when you're bouncing, you get slack because now the weight's on there and the line goes slack because you just, it just hit the bottom. You you could miss that strike. I'm not missing that strike when it's off the bottom. Um, but, but it is important. You have to follow the bottom, right? So if you're going through depth changes, I like to fish drop-offs. So yeah. it's going from, you know, 10 feet down to 20. That's tough. So I may bounce it all the way down there and then just keep going back and forth until I kind of figure out how it's going to, how it's going to work. See that, that right there is one of those things where I feel like the guy that's on the sod bank might have a slight advantage just because he's not going to be missing those drop-offs. His jig is naturally going to set, settle into those drop-offs. See, that's where I think the advantage from the bank angler comes into, into play. Whereas a kayak or a boat angler, they could be, if they're, popping and jigging like like uh like skinner style or whatever they're or if if for your example even more so you got to be really in tune with the area you're fishing just because you got to know hey there's a depth change coming here i know it i fished this area i got to be ready for it but the average person's going to miss a lot of like little drop-offs doing it that way so it's got to be it's so much more detail oriented than just the the guys just jigging along so that's that's a that's a nice that's a nice piece of information there for sure and also, like like Rich says, he loves fishing that that drop off. Like I've I've watched the one video where he did. And he literally explains certain area he picks apart because 
So you won't fish a flat. It's literally say 10 feet all the way down the whole bank. He'll look for like little, little areas that had little gradual drop off. You know, it could be 10. It'll drop down to like 14 or it'll be 14. And it'll go up to like nine. You know, he'll fish that spot. And like, if you watch his videos, he overlays that little, the lines, if you have Navionics, he overlays those lines on top of like a Google map. And then it show he shows you the actual drop off. So where to focus? Like, if you guys want to kind of learn this, you know, check out his channel. He'll, he literally walks you through the idea of how to pick these drop offs. Yeah. Instead of, you know, he's giving you more high percentage areas to find fish than literally fishing just a barren wasteland of just nine feet all the way down for a mile mile. I mean, not yeah. saying there's not saying there's no fish in that nine feet of stretch well, for a whole mile, but the opportunity for more fish will be probably where that drop off set because they're sitting because they're ambush predators. So they're going to sit in that drop off looking up or looking down for bait coming by. And, and that's the most important thing. If people only know one thing about fishing for fluke, you have to know that they're ambush predators. It's just like you said, they're not going to sit in the, I call them football fields, right? If you want to ambush, ambush somebody, you're not going to sit in the middle of a football field and wait for them to walk by, you know, even, even something that can camouflage itself like a flounder, it's going to be like, well, well, I'm not going to sit here out in the open. I'm going to find some place to hide, right? They're not in the football field. They're in the stadium seats on the side that are the, the change in levels where they can hide and they can kind of blend in. And, um, and that's the big thing. And that's the problem that I see with a lot of boats. They, they just set up the drift that they can get the longest straight drift so they don't have to move a lot, yep. right? So they can turn off the engine. They can, they can have a drink or they can have a sandwich and they can drift. Well, that's fine. And in the one video, um, I said, that guy's in the wrong spot. He needs to be over here. And I was only about 10, 15 yards away. And I pulled out a 25, 26 inch fluke right next yep. to him. Yeah. I watched um, that video. And that, yep. that, I watched that video and I was like, I know that corner. Yep. <laughs> I, I know that exact corner. And I, I see boats all the time doing that drift. And they're like, they're practically 30, 40 yards off of the, the, the side bank, which, which is a flat, which is, it's literally one, that all the way down it's super flat but you move in another 10 feet 10 15 feet now you see the gradual change it's a dip it's up it's down and yep. not, and then you got the kayak guys they always pick up fish in there and then i always i always drive by now ask boat guys like how you guys doing I'm like eh, nothing out here maybe a short but then i know for a fact that that corner and that side bank where that tight that you know it's a change in depth because the current in the water, they're ripples. So you know the current changes. And so there's a lot of depth change there. And I, I see kayakers guy go through there all the time. They'd be picking off fish left and right. Yep. Well, there's no there's no greater joy than having a boat drift past you and you're you're plugging plugging away at fish from from your little mini kayak and he's in his eighty thousand dollar boat getting pissed. Yeah. Salty salty is not the word. Like I I cannot tell you how many times. I've been fishing, plucked a couple fish, and I have a boat literally pull up right next to me, like looking at what I'm using, and they're they're looking at the wrong stuff. They're looking at me when they should be looking at their electronics. Like that's that's they're looking at the absolute wrong thing, and it's just amazing. Like they get these boat guys get set in their ways, and they just they just miss it. They miss it completely, and it's 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 great. It's a great feeling. It, it really is. Like even from the sod bank, like. I've like when I used to keep limits of flounder, I'm walking out my limits of flounder and these guys are like, what are you doing out there? I'm like, I'm leaving. See ya. <laughs> Done. 
So now, now how has kayak fishing changed the way you approach like the New Jersey fluke opener? Do you uh, prepare differently for it than you would have in the past, like from boats or, or from, from the shore? Um, I don't know that it's changed a lot for me. Um, you know, I, I think I do prepare a little bit differently. I'm looking at different spots um, that I can reach. I, I'm looking more for the spots that I want to go to rather than the ones that I don't think people are going to be at um, or aren't going to be overrun with boats coming by and boat traffic and jet skis. Um, and th that's really what it comes down to. I mean, I'll, I'll pedal well over 20 miles in a day and I'll go five miles to get to my first spot. Sure. Um you know, but that's really the thing it, it, for me, it just kind of opened things up. And now I used to have a 19 foot skiff, but I couldn't get back while your boat, you can get back in eight inches. I think you said before yeah. I couldn't get into eight inches. I was about a foot and a half. Um, so it was so limiting to me. Um, and I just feel, you know, now I have the freedom and that's really the only way that it's changed is now I have every option open to me. And the only thing I have to decide is where do I want to go? And then that means what time do I have to leave the house to get there? Are there any uh, conditions where you won't take the kayak out, like uh, such and such wind or after a storm and things like that? Like, do you change what you're fishing for based off of conditions? Yeah, I'll, I'll change what I'm fishing for. Um, so I, I don't necessarily recommend it to a lot of people. Again, I've been on a kayak for over, you know, well over 20 years. Um, you got to be really careful. There, there are conditions I won't go in. You know, for example, um, if the forecast had been correct when I was out in Raritan Bay the other the other week and I ended up capsizing, I wouldn't have capsized. There would there would have been no way. Um, it wasn't even a strong wind, but it set up with a following sea on the on the primary swell. It was coming from five o'clock on the secondary. It was very short, and I was coming against the tide with the wind in my back. Hmm. It, it was it was inevitable. It was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen, so it was. And that's why I lost my rods. I, I didn't even have the ability to stow them. And I went 20 minutes just to get as close to land as possible. So that I'll, I'll look at it from the safety perspective. But in the backwaters, it's not as bad, right? So you can, you can get 30 mile an hour winds and you can still get where you want to be. But you're not necessarily going to be fishing for fluke in where you want to be because the winds are not going to work with the tide. So it, it definitely does impact um, but, it, but for me, it's mainly about what's safe and what's not safe. Um, yeah. I really don't want to go out when it's not safe. I try to be as safe as possible, um, especially because people watch the channel. Um, but, uh, but I'll, I'll go through, you know, I'll go through inlets and surf and all that stuff. Oh, sure. So what's your personal best fluke? So it's, it's, it's funny because I consider myself to be really good, but my personal best is probably not anywhere near what people would, would think. Um, from the kayak, it's 26 inches. Um, you know, that's a backwater. Um, and I think from, well, from shore, it was 24 inches and from boat, I think it was somewhere around 27 or 28. Okay. Um, none of these, you know, that you see these guys getting up in Montauk or anything like that, but, um, yeah, 26, 26. And actually it was last season. Um, last season I actually probably had on a kayak my personal best seven or eight times until I got that 26. I mean, yeah, I, 26, 26 in the back is still a good fish. It's yeah, not, I consider the backwater doormat. That's, that's especially, in, especially in our waters too, because you know how South Jersey, the fluking ain't the greatest. And then you, you really got to work hard. For, like up north, like I've fished up north most of my life. 
uh, yeah, we can go out in a day and limit out on fluke. I mean, 18, 19, 20. We've, we pulled a 28, 28 inch fish off a jetty. You know what I mean? So there's plenty of fluke up there. It's not, it's the, not, it's the funny thing about Jersey. It's the South Jersey at that is the numbers aren't there. Maybe Dan's found numbers, but like as long as I've, I've only been doing it for two, three seasons, there's not really any numbers. Like there's big fish, but there's no numbers. Like last year I had four keepers on the boat all over 22. And, but that's it. We didn't have no shorts. I didn't have nothing. It was just like, uh, maybe I was later in the season. I think I was, I started late, like probably June and maybe I didn't get into them. But like, yeah, like literally I didn't have numbers. I had four big fish and then that was it. Like no shorts, nothing. 2018 for me was my, my, I would, I called it my, my fluke coming out party. Cause I, I, I just had an insane season, but every season since has been like significantly different. Now I've had 40 fish days from sod banks, but recently I, I'm, I'm happy with two or three fish in a day, you know? So I, I think the numbers are more North of us right now. Like I, I fished, you know, up, you know, Sandy hook last year, a couple of times there's numbers up there. Yeah. Big fish, but I, I that, and that, that's part of what, what we're seeing is these fisheries are kind of transitioning more North as the climate changes. You know, yeah. we're seeing more of the mahi. We're seeing more of the Spanish mackerel. We're seeing more of these southern species, but our species seem to be transitioning a little bit more north. That you know, whether it be twenty miles more north than it used to be, or thirty miles more north than it used to be, it, 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 there is a definitive transition of some of these fisheries going northbound. Um, I, I don't know if the numbers are there. Uh, personally, I I used to be like the guy to beat my chest to go out there and you know limit out on fluke. I I'm happy to bring one fish home at this point, you know, because yeah. it feeds my, feeds my whole family. Yeah, what do you think, Rich? Do you, you've been doing, you've been fishing our area for, and when, when we ask specific, say our area, you know, me and Rich fish kind of like the same area, Stone Harbor, Wildwood. So why? Well, yeah, you, <laughs> well, you're, you fish Avalon. I don't fish Avalon as much, but like, yeah. So you've been doing it for 20 years, 25 years. Um, have you seen a decline of fish or do you have, now, how do you feel about it, like fluke-wise? Yeah, so I, I'll be honest. Um, last year was my best season that I've ever had. Okay. Um, I I must have thrown back three dozen over twenty-four. Um, you know, with most of them being just at twenty-four, maybe just under twenty-four. Um, just because I I had either limited, but usually it's I'm only keeping one. Um, but it's, it's something when you're throwing back 25 inch fish, you know, yeah, definitely. um, but I didn't catch a lot of shorts last year at all. Um, and, and especially down South, uh, and now, now I fish all over the state. Um, now last year I actually decided I wasn't going to fish the same spot twice until August. Um, so I was all over the state. I was all the way down, you know, to the Delaware Bay, all the way up to Raritan Bay. Um, and, and, the only place that I got a lot of numbers was ocean city. Um, I didn't get a lot of numbers anywhere else. Um, but I got almost all keeper size South 
and I got less numbers, but close to keeper size, you know, or, or just at keeper size, you know, 18, 18 and a half, 19 um, up north. Now, I didn't fish Raritan Bay for fluke. So just to be fair, I know that's where the big guys are. Yeah. I, I actually did not do that at all. I never fished Raritan Bay until last fall for, for striped bass. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Maybe I just suck. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we've kind of, we've kind of discussed some of the other fisheries you enjoy. You've talked about fluke and striped bass. You want to highlight, uh, your, your weak fish, uh, your weak fish, uh, adventures. Have you, have you targeted them yet this year? Do you plan to, um, and then your past successes with weak fish? Yeah. I, I've never caught one from the kayak. So I'm kind of curious as to how that process would go. Uh, so, I usually catch them all on shore. So, yeah, they're, they're great. They're great to target when you're fluke fishing actually, because you can catch them in very similar spots if you fish drop-offs. And I, again, I always look for a drop-off. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I can find a drop-off near a point or in the bend of a Creek, uh, that to me is prime for, uh, for weak fish. Um, and they'll hit similar things. So us all often switch the teaser, they love shrimp, right? So, uh, they love grass shrimp, so a gulp shrimp on a teaser is going to be right in their face. And at that point, um, you know, I'll, I'll catch them. I'll, I'll target them, but I'll also be ready to catch fluke uh, at the same time. But I, I, I used, I grew up catching weak fish a lot. I mean, it used to be we go out for bluefish, and then you get under them to get the weak fish. And you know, you get the tide runners back then. You know, in the '80s and the '90s, there'd be 30-inch fish all over the place. Um, they'd, they'd literally go through the back bays of Stone Harbor. We'd be eating breakfast and you'd just run out and jump on the kayak and go, you know, paddle a hundred yards. And they're just blitzing uh, all over the place and you'd, you'd pull in dinner. Um, but yeah, I, I will target weak fish um, because their numbers are so low. I don't do it often. With that said, I'm thinking about doing it this weekend. Um, <laughs> so I, I won't keep any unless it's obviously mortally wounded. Yeah, um, I, my PB actually was mortally wounded, unfortunately, and it, it hurt me so bad to not be able to release that fish. So I totally get that. Well, the, the good news is for the first time in years, the population is on a rise. Um, so it's been declining every year for, I think, the past 15 um, until it hit critical levels. And now it's it's actually going back up. So and it's not from overfishing, by the way. So can't blame the wreck guys or the commercial guys. You can blame the bottlenose dolphins, the spiny dogfish, and the striped bass. They're the ones that have been killing them all. Um, but they're they're making a rebound. But but for me, it's uh, you know they they like the the deep holes. They're very lazy. They like the and they're called tide runners because they you know that they they want the strong current with the high tides. So last night you know was uh, when we're recording this was the uh, the full moon, the new moon, or the uh, super moon. Mm-hmm. Um, when the tide rushes up over that, that sod bank and it pulls the grass shrimp out, uh, you know, th- that they're, they're all over that and they'll just sit in the current and they'll just wait for it to come. They're very lazy. They don't move around a lot. If you find them in spring, they're going to be there through summer and the same, literally the same spot. So just, you can just keep going back to it if you want, pull your one out and, and toss it back and then come back another day. Um, but they're, they're, to me, they're just a lot of fun and they're very difficult because they have the soft mouth. You know, mm-hmm. so it takes some skill to hook them without without ripping it through. Yeah, we were talking once before we got on on the the podcast here, and honestly, it's a lot like walleye fishing there too. Like for for me anyway, 
in the middle of the night, that thump in the night, but you're low and slow is the way I fish for them. Um, you know, I use a nice white or pink paddle tail with some shedder, shedder oil. And that that's the ticket. I get a lot of actually fluke that way too at night, you know, they, cause those early season fluke are always on the crustaceans first, which is why your shrimp baits actually really work well. Yeah. But, uh, I think they're both out. They're both, in my opinion, better night fisheries, right? If you want to fish for fluke, and you want to fish for weak fish, fish at night first, if you can. Yeah. You will, I, I will always catch more at night and, you know, people think that you can't, but you can, especially the weak fish yeah. um, and, and pink, pink and shedder oil, man. Those, those are great. And you, you, you're right though. You have to slow it down. You can't jig it crazy. Like you do for fluke. You have to change that up because they'll, they'll wait for that slow drop and then they'll just hammer it. Yeah. I, I got to learn some, some real cool secrets about weak fish last couple of years, like rattle traps, for example. Yep. It's nuts. I, I didn't even, I would have never considered something like that for, for those fish, but it's kind of cool. There's a lot, there's a lot of, there's a lot of details that some guys have held on to for many, many years about these fish. And it, it's nice to see the, the spikes and everything all around making a comeback. I definitely, uh, I, I, I was going to get out last night for that moon and I just wasn't able to make it out. So yeah myself now but i think they'll still be fish around for a little while so yeah i mean i picked up my very first one today so she was she was nice good 18 and a half she was full of eggs you know what i mean she she hit a like a shark she hit a chartreuse and white uh northeast jig company on a quarter ounce jig head real slow retrieve occasionally i'll do a little twitch but that was about it and the one time I twitched it and it dropped, she bumped it on the drop and I felt the tick and I, I set the hook. So she literally, as we, I lifted her and we slid the net under her, the jig head popped right out. Always. Yeah. Yep. Always. The, you have yeah. to have a net. You got to have, have a net. net. You don't even try. Don't, yeah, if don't I was going to try a flipper, she would have been gone. Like yep. literally as soon as that net went under her, she popped the hook right off and then she slid right into the net. <laughs> I have a, I have a 10 foot telescoping net just for those fish. Literally. Yeah. They're, they're gorgeous fish though. The colors on them, the purple, the silver and, and like, man, like you could feel the eggs in her belly. She was so full of eggs. You know, I, I felt super relieved when I got to set her free and it was just like, I was like, go ahead, mama, go do your thing. I just can't wait till this fishery jumps back. Like I've caught gators. I mean, yeah, like tie, big tie runners, like eight years ago, they're, I, think there were like 33 two of them but then that, that was the last time i've ever seen them yeah so my 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 experience was that you know i'm i'm fishing like jetties and stuff for them like on foot and my first fish was a 26 and a half inch six and six and a half pound weak fish and of course i mortally wounded that one and i had to take it home that that's my first weak fish i mean like it, it kind of ruins you for the rest of them because the, there's not many out there like that I mean, yeah, but I mean, they don't even taste all that great neither. We, there's so many other kind of fish out there, you know, fluke, fluke tastes wonderful, tog, you know, incredible fishes, you know, like, I mean, I honestly tell people there's no point in keeping weak fish, you know, it's just the, the, the meat and the taste is just not superb. There's so many other fisheries out there you could pick up, you Agreed. know, the taste is great. Trigger fish. 100%. Yeah. Trigger fish. You, you do any trigger fishing, Rich? Uh, I, I tried it once. I got nothing. My um, arch nemesis. They are my arch nemesis. <laughs> I'd like to. I, I, you know, I, 
I'd like to, I, I failed miserably and, you know, and then you just get to the point where you're like, how many hooks are, am I, am I going to lose here? Um, yeah. so yeah, I, I packed it in and went fluking. <laughs> yeah, I get, I get them bycatch while talking, but that's about it. Yeah. You have any other future trips planned? Any, uh, like bucket list trips, any like, uh, tropical places you're going to take the kayak to? Yeah. So, I mean, I, Every year, family vacation. So we're going to OBX this year. So we're going to be down in Avon. Um, so some Pamlico Sound, which I did last year. Um, some Oregon Inlet. And then I'm, I'm going to try some offshore there. Um, I'm going to be alone. So I'm not going to go really far offshore. But I'm definitely going to get offshore and see if I can pick some things up. Some redfish and trout. And of course, flounder are going to be out of season because they have yeah. the very limited seasons down there now. So I'm going to try to avoid hooking them at all. Um, so that's, that's coming up this year, but you know, the bucket list, um, I knew you were going to ask this. I've heard other people's answers. I'm going to go a little bit different than what most people say. Okay. I actually, okay. I, I want to catch a bonefish on the fly. Yeah. Well, that's on my bucket list. So that's, that's not much different, but yeah. But you know, people talk about roosters. Yeah. Roosters would be awesome, but no, I, I want, and maybe it's from watching all those saltwater sportsman things back oh, yeah, you're right. years ago. It's all about the bonefish on you, the fly. Was- so Andros Island would be mm-hmm. right up there or Belize. Um, you know, I think that would be awesome. And and actually the, the, the biggest bucket list for me, it's, it, it's not kayak, but um, heading over to Kenya to fish for billfish. And, you know, every, and they had, they got everything over there. So, you know, any kind of Marlin, I just want to get out there and, and, and hook up, touch the leader on as many different types of Marlin as, as possible, just so I can say I've done it. That's awesome. Kwa, you got anything you want to, you want to weigh in? Uh, Right. Why not we try our favorite species? Sheep's head. Have you gotten into much sheep's head in the past few years? It's one of our favorite buck and not bucket list. It's one of our favorite species. We're pretty obsessed with them. So for sure. Yeah. So I have caught some, some sheep's head um, unintentionally when I was talking. Okay. Um, I really want to target them. Uh, but the one thing that I didn't have last year is I didn't have, I wasn't comfortable with bringing my kayak up against the structure mm-hmm. and the current with, the way that my setup was. So I, I kydexed out some things so that I can not destroy the, the front and the sides of it. Um, um, I mean, so. well, like if you don't want to put it in the kayak, I mean, I always have an empty seat on the boat. You know what I mean? You're more than welcome to hop on me. That's I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with them and I'm obsessed with getting people on really big ones. You know what I mean? So it's kind of my thing. Yeah. So I, I would never pass that up. Um, anytime to get on the boat, to learn from somebody who knows what they're doing with the species. I would love to, I mean, I've caught them, I've eaten them. Um, but, but man, do they fight and and yeah. the, they don't look like they fight, but man, they fight. Uh, no, no, they're like, I put 55 in the boat last year. So they, they're, 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 you get into something that's like double digit. Yeah. It's a good 15, 20 minute battle. Uh, I'm in. All right. That's insane. I think I was close to 400 last year. Now I did have one day down in uh, Oregon Inlet where I caught over 120 one day. So if you go down there, you got to do it, dude. You got to do it. And the, the scratches on the kayaks, I look at them as battle wounds at this point. Like yeah. <laughs> I'm at the point where I'm like, what can you do? I, I wanted to do the, all the, you know, the kydex and everything to, to uh, protect it. And I'm like, eh. it was already scratched. I got it as a demo. 
Um, it was already scratched up. So I'm like, eh, as long as I can keep it from taking any like real bad, bad gouges, I'm pretty good about doing that. But the scratches I, I look at as part of the, uh, part of the equation. It's just, we fish so much for sheep's head that I have, yeah. I have them. So hey, I'll trade, I'll trade sheep's head secrets for fluke secrets any day. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it then. Yeah, we'll definitely set up a bunch of days this year. So sounds good. But wait, Rich, when I tell you Oregon Inlet, like every piling, there's probably a hundred fish on. So Absurd. Absurd. So I'm gonna have to try that because I, I went specifically for reds and trout when I went to Oregon last year and Oregon Inlet and um but I kept looking at this. I mean, there are pilings all over the place. Yeah. And then they have all the construction pilings too. Yep. And they're on all that too. Yeah. It was, it was the most fun trip I've ever been on uh, by myself. I had another fun trip a little bit after that with my buddy down in Virginia beach, but I, I got to tell you, you got to try it. Got to try it. Take some bottom sweepers with you. Um, you can buy, like, it didn't matter what I was dropping down. They have different fiddlers down there than we do up here. Yeah, they're huge. They're like that big. They're yep. probably the size of a, uh, like a 50 cent piece and bigger. And they just, they destroy these fish. Now there's a lot of smaller fish. You know, I, I was catching them anywhere from like eight to all the way up to 25, 26 inches. I, I had a couple really nice ones that I lost, but it, it was a blast, man. It was, it was so much fun. It was, and of course I lost my rod and everything, but, yeah. but it was, it was still, it was still such a, a killer trip. And the cool thing is, is that right there at the bridge, you have a couple of turns and you got creeks where there's specks and, and redfish in them right, right there. I was, I, as I was making my way back, I was catching specks and I saw tailing redfish in some of those creeks right there by the bridge. So I know exactly where it is. I'll, yeah, be, I'll be there in July. I'll, I'll send you the video. Yeah. I can't wait. <laughs> can't wait for that. Yeah. I mean, speaking of reds, have you ever picked up a red in our area? No. So actually, um, I haven't, but I made a pact with myself this year that I am going to find the reds and the specks in South Jersey. They're there. They're there. I know they're there. Um, yeah. I've seen that. I mean, redfish, when I was younger, they used to, oh, every year they'd come through, the bull reds. Um, they don't do that anymore, but they're still there. I mean, you see them popping up every once in a while on, on social media. Um Last year, I'm determined to find them. Every day I go fluking, I'm going to spend at least an hour and a half to two hours looking for specks and reds. Up that, um, back in that sound, you know which sound I'm talking about too. That yep. flat. There's a few back there. I had I had two roll on my fly last year, so they're back there. Um, we had bulls. We had bulls off the jetty, like a uh, yeah. further further down south. I, a couple of them were caught and posted. So, I mean, they're around, and the past few years, a good number of reds have been off our beaches. So, off our beaches, even as far as up as, like, LBI and stuff. So, mm-hmm. there's there's plenty of them around, and with this warmer water and this, and this weird climate change, I have a feeling they may make a good comeback. So, we'll stick it out, and hopefully they will, will, their numbers will go up. Yeah, if the, if the fluker are actually pushing north, which I agree with Dan, I think they are a bit um, – if that's going to bring in more reds and cobia and specks, I mean, I think that's a, a good trade-off for the fishery, <laughs> you know, sure. you know, bring in some other uh, really nice, nice fish to target. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to this year. I'm going to do a lot of searching. Yeah. I hope the specks come back. We had that one really good year when they were, they were here in numbers 
and then they just disappeared for two years. So yeah, two years ago it was crazy numbers. Last year it was like uh, like uh, tumbleweeds. Yeah, it's it, not nuts how that that comes in, in in waves like that. All right, well, Rich, it's been a pleasure chatting with you, brother. Thank you so much for hopping on with us. Yeah, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Um, great podcast, and I I really appreciate that you brought me on. You, yeah. You've uh, you've brought us some excellent content. Uh, why don't you uh, share where people can find your your information once more, real quick, before we uh, hop off? Yeah, sure. So the the YouTube channel is Fat Dad Fishing. Um, so you could just put that in the search. I think I'm the only one with that name. Um, uh, on Instagram, it's Fat dot dad dot fishing and then i do have a website that has um really it's just a collection of videos and some short blogs i have a lot of stuff that i'm putting up there um you know articles that i'm going to do and 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 i'm actually working on a course that i'm going to i think post through there for flounder fishing um at some point this year Uh, and that's at fatdadfishing.com so uh, but reach out to me if if uh anyone's you know heading out and they want some company uh want to meet on the water sometime i'm i'm open to that too yeah de- guys definitely check out his content he's excellent videos very informative the website is also built out pretty well uh, i we we loved having you on it you've been great you've been very informative thank you so much we really appreciate it thanks guys have a good one and you mostly too, mostly, mostly keep in touch Whenever you have free days or you know you have days come up in in the summer or whatnot, two, three, you know, if you have an advance notice, shoot me a message. And if I'm free, we'll set something up. We'll get out there. Sounds great. I right. appreciate it. And I'll look, for, I'll look for you in some of my fluke spots because I know you fish some of the same ones I do. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure we do. <laughs> All right, brother. Have a good one, man. Thank you right. so much. Have a good you night, too. Rich. See ya. See ya. All right, man. What'd you think of that? That was good <sighs> stuff. Oh yeah, Rose, very informative, great character, great personality. Uh, he got me with the top water fluke, man. <laughs> I, I I gotta try it now. I, I got. <laughs> I'm I definitely interested. I'm like I'm gonna be throwing freaking skittle walks for freaking fluke now. That's that's ridiculous. I can't even imagine what it's like catching a fluke on a little popper. It's gotta be so much fun. I mean, but you can imagine they they are pretty aggressive, and the fact that you know they hit all sorts of stuff. Oh, for I've, sure. I've I've seen fluke hit diamond jigs. Like yeah. out of all things, you know what I mean? So it's, I, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised, but it would be pretty amazing to get one. Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, another great episode. Thank you everybody for tuning in. It's been an absolute pleasure. Once again, you can find us on Facebook, Tide Chasers Podcast. Also on Instagram at Tide underscore Chasers. Um, all of our podcast links of all the uh, platforms we're on, you can find in our links on the bio of our Instagram page, please just uh, like subscribe, share our content and uh, leave those five star reviews. It helps us out. If you uh, know, if you know of somebody or would like to be a guest on the show, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. We're, we're constantly talking to new people every single day. There's value with everybody. And we, we think that uh, we think that, you know, we're, we're doing some good things here and bringing some great content to some people. So just don't hesitate to reach out to us if, you, uh, if you'd if you like to be a guest or if you have someone in mind that would be a great guest for us. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. All right. Like my, my co-host said, have a great night, everyone. Enjoy yourself. Keep those lines tight. And we'll see you guys next week. See ya. See ya.